Hey, good morning, Ellerslie Road Baptist Church. If you have joined us for a live stream this morning, it's great to be with you. And, and for those of you who are actually watching this at a different time than on Sunday morning, um, this is a, thank you for joining us at whatever time has worked really well for you. I think that's great. I, I got to tell you, this is such a unique season for all of us, isn't it? This is the, this is the first time, by the way, that, that I've recorded a, a sermon in this time. And I got to tell you that if anyone would have told me six weeks ago that this is how I would be preaching um, at this time, there's, there's no way I would have believed them. In fact, when this first took place, and for us, it was right as spring break was about to start in BC, we just finished our last conference that we run with the Canadian Youth Workers Conferences up in Grand Prairie. Uh, we were expecting to head away on a holiday to be, you know, you know what I mean? And then this came. And so then we thought, okay, we got to put a pause on that. And my thinking was that two weeks from now, we'll be able to start resuming a type of normal life. And of course, we couldn't be farther uh, from that reality right now in, in many ways. In fact, what I found is that this is a, um, this is a, a season or a journey in learning to manage and change expectations. You know what I mean? Like we have these expectations, we think what might be, and then that's actually not what's going to be. So then we have to reset ourselves and start again. You know, at our camp where my wife is the director, of course, this is exactly what they're trying to do, trying to plan for the summer in a space like this. Can they have camp or do they need to cancel camp? Or, or maybe they could have a different type of camp. Should they go online for the summer and figure out how to do virtual gatherings? Or maybe they could have like smaller pods of camp. And so it's almost like every week as we try to get as much information as we can, Jen's trying to make new decisions, create new plans, and set new expectations. And for some of us who who don't mind functioning in the chaos, we manage it. But for some of us where God's designed us to work best within structures, where, where hope is something that like is a sure thing we look towards that, that manages us in the journey, this can be significantly difficult. You know, um, it's really interesting in our, in our home, we, we've been talking a lot about hope over the last little while. Uh, my son, Cole, loves basketball. I've talked with him about him a lot. Um, you, you know, he couldn't play ball this past year for his school season because he'd shifted schools. And so his hope was that when spring came around, then he'd be able to play ball in the spring. And so he'd been practicing and working at it and getting prepared for it. And then when the, when the COVID hit, you know, then, then we were stuck at home and then spring looked like maybe we wouldn't be able to access that. So he began to work every day, continued to prep and, and grind in the gym and in the weight room. We have a weight room in our garage. We have a gym at camp. So he's got access to these types of spaces in this time in an expectation that this summer he would finally be able to get to play again. And now as we look to the summer, we're starting to think, wow, there's a chance that maybe you're not going to be able to play in the summer. And in some moments, we kind of wonder, will we even be able to gather in the fall again? And so the other day I had to sit down with him and we had a conversation about, you know, where are we placing our hope in times like these? And, and I said to him, I said, you know, Cole, you're putting in lots of work and you should, son. That's great. I love the work that you're putting in. But I just said to him, the work that you're putting in here and now needs to be about something more than just basketball. Because if your hope, if your identity if your sense of being is placed in something like basketball, then, then the reality is that's a fragile hope because we don't actually know if that's going to be the place that you get to engage over the next little while. And it's this resetting of expectations that we find ourselves in. You know, the truth of the matter is, 
that um, as human beings, we desperately need hope. We, uh, we flourish when there's hope. In fact, we need hope for flourishing. Hope is almost as important as oxygen, as the air we breathe. If we want to have life, we have to have hope. The possibility of experiencing something good can carry us through the most difficult circumstances. But unfortunately, it's these seasons, it's these times that often reveal to us how incredibly fragile many of the things that we place our hope in actually are. You know, um, I've spent this last week, we, uh, we spend uh, time every week talking with youth workers across our country, helping them manage this season and respond to the crisis that's taking place here, working with families, working with youth. And then this week, of course, Nova Scotia happened. And um, just this morning, we gathered with youth workers again from across our country, and we prayed for, um, for the people of Nova Scotia. And, and it's, it's been hard to even wrap our brains around the type of brokenness and pain and, um, and just, just destruction that the people in that part of our country are feeling right now. And I suspect that when you speak with people there, the question that they're asking is, where is our hope? Like, where do we, where do we put our hope in a time like this when the brokenness is, is so immediate and so intense and so incredibly overwhelming? In fact, I suspect that for many people, the, even the idea of hope seems hopeless because the things that people have legitimately placed their hope in no longer exist in this place. And we need hope. We need it to flourish. We need it like we need oxygen. It is life in our bodies. And so how in spaces like this, where do we go for our hope? Where do we find hope in the times when the brokenness is so real and is so deep and seems so beyond our imagination to even move out of? Where do we find our hope? Well, you know, the scripture speaks a lot about hope and we're engaging in this three-week series right now, this idea of not being alone, that we have a God who is with us in the space that we are. He's bringing flourishing to us in the midst of this time, and he's bringing hope into our reality. And what the scriptures say when it speaks about hope is it says that hope is actually something so much more than just an emotion based on a possibility, it's something deeper than that. When the scripture speaks of hope, it speaks of a disposition, an identity, a way of seeing or a vision of a future that is secured by a past reality. It's not just a possibility, it's a guarantee that scriptures say to us as followers of Christ, we have a hope that we can count on, that we can be rooted in, that can carry us through even the darkest moments that we experience. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is speaking of this hope that we as followers of Christ have. And um, he, he begins in verse 18. So I'm going I'm to start in verse 18. Last week, David spoke from verses 1 up to verse 17. And so we had that time last week. And now I want to shift a little bit in verse 18 about how God continues to enlarge our vision of a hope that we can have even in the midst of the darkest moments. So here's what he says in verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. So listen to what he's saying here. He's speaking of the reality of the hope that we have that brings life, that brings flourishing. This is where our salvation, he says, for this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And then he goes on in verse 26 and he says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches hearts, and he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay. So there is like so much here in this passage. I think this is one of our richest places that we have in Scripture. But today we're not going to be able to do a deep dive. We're going to stay a little bit higher. And we're going to answer the question, what are the reasons that we can have hope, especially in our most broken moments? And what Paul says here is he he gives us three reasons why we should be placing our hope in a future reality that God has for us. And the future reality, when he speaks of it, is he speaks of this glory that he has for us, this future glory that he is calling us to, that in the midst of the brokenness, he's calling us to focus on that that's where our hope is rooted, that allows us to remain faithful even in the darkest and the most broken moments that we experience. Moments like now, moments like here, Moments like Nova Scotia. It's in these places, these real, these dark, these hard spaces that God comes to us and he says, I have come to give you hope. There's something more coming. There's a future reality that I have for you, a glory, something beautiful, something other than, something right, something perfect, a glory that I'm calling you to that you can place your hope in that will see you through the darkest moments now. Okay, so how do we access that hope? Three ways that we access that hope in the midst of the darkest moments. Here's the first. We access that hope when we realize that the glory to come is greater than the suffering that we're experiencing now. So listen to what he says. In verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Did you hear what he said? He says, listen, the first thing I want you to realize is that there's a glory There's a reality coming that is infinitely greater than the most difficult brokenness you are experiencing in the here and now. That no matter what's going on now, no matter what's happening here in Edmonton, no matter what's happening in the spaces you are, no matter what's happening in Nova Scotia, and it's real and it's severe, but he says, I want you to know that there's something greater. There's something greater coming. You know, I think that reality, this idea of something greater coming can be really hard for us to grasp. And I think there's two reasons why it's hard. I think, number one, 
this idea of something greater can be hard because for some of us, we actually like the space that we're in. Like for some of us, we're actually living in environments that, that actually don't feel that influenced by brokenness. So, you know, when I think about our family, we live at a camp. Like as, as far as isolation goes, there's probably not a better place you could be isolated than living at a camp. Our kids have access to good activities. We live in a beautiful space. You know, we can, we can go for walks. We can do hikes. So we, you know, as, as far as like, as far as living in a space right now in a time like this, we're doing pretty good. And if my whole focus is just in our space, in our situation, I'm like, hey, I'm okay. I don't, I don't really need another hope because I'm experiencing something real right now. There's a type of control I actually have. But it's interesting what Paul says here. When he begins to speak about this idea that we're actually living in brokenness, he actually first refers to the reality of creation. Listen to what he says about creation. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to the corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. As he speaks about this reality that, hey, listen, you need to look to creation and understand that actually creation knows that this is not our hope. There's a brokenness in creation that is groaning, that's longing for something greater, something right, something different. Creation groans with this reality of brokenness. You know, I was reading an article that I was given about uh, that, that was written by a gentleman named Daryl Johnson. And he began to speak about, okay, how is God at work in a time like this? Like, what is his redemptive work? And, and one of the things he just spoke about was this idea that through the groaning of creation, God is awakening us to the reality that we were made for something more. That we're not in as much control as we like to think we are. Listen to what he says in the article that he wrote. He said, God is awakening us to the groaning of creation. Creation is at times smarter than we are. Creation recognizes that this is not the best of all possible worlds and groans for the truly best world. As the Apostle Paul puts it, creation is groaning to be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When we groan within ourselves for the healing of the planet, when we're aware of the brokenness that is happening within our planet, he says, we are joining the planet itself in sensitivity to the planet's creator. We are crying out for healing. And so in these moments, we go, okay, God, you're awakening me to the reality of something greater. And you're helping me see it in creation. Right now, it's clear. Creation is broken. It's groaning. We see it. It's directly affecting our lives. We think we can manage and we can control our environments, but these moments show us that that's not true. If our hope is placed in our ability to control the elements, then our hope is fragile. It's not a good hope. And God says, I want you to understand there's something better than this. There's something infinitely better than this. Our first problem is sometimes we think we're in control and we like our present time, but these moments shatter that mirage. And the second problem we have is, is we don't often have a good vision of the future. We don't, we don't realize that there's actually something more than where we find ourselves. Listen to what Paul says. He goes on and he speaks to us and he says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the whole creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grow 
grown inwardly. He says, listen, if you're a follower of Christ, you've actually tasted something better. For those of you who remember the moment when you moved from like what Scripture would say, darkness to light, when your eyes were open to the reality of Jesus Christ and He began to work and renew your life, you remember that taste. You remember how powerful that was in your, in your reality, in your space, the new vision, the new experience, the new freedom that you experienced in that moment. And he says that's true, that's, and, but he says that's just a first fruit of the Spirit. He says it's just a taste. It's just, like, it's just like the initial harvest, but there's more, there's so much more. And he says that we who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He says we have so much more. You know, there's an interesting thing about Paul. Paul constantly uses this type of language of now but not yet. Have you noticed that? He'll speak about this idea that we are adopted. We have been redeemed. And then he says things like this where he says we wait eagerly for adoption and for redemption. And there's this reality that that we've tasted something and it's good, especially for those of us who remember what it was before and we have this brand new experience. We know it's good, but he says this is just the beginning of something even greater, that there is a full experience that's coming. Our position before him is true. We are his children. Our position before him is true. He is redeeming us. We are people redeemed in his eyes, but he says you will actualize it in ways that you could not even imagine. There's so much more yet to come. And he says, look, there's a greater vision of what is to be. And he's telling us, he's saying, if you could just see, if you could just see the reality of glory that's coming, that even if you're wrestling through these dark situations, even if the things that you have hoped in in the past are broken and you can no longer hope in them now, whether it's the financial security, whether it's the physical health, whether it's the loved ones around you, even if that's broken around you, God says, I want you to know there's something more. The groaning that you are experiencing is real. The groaning you are experiencing is right. It's appropriate. But the groaning within us is pointing to a glory. The groaning within us reveals that we were designed for something more. And God says, there is something more that I have for you. So first, the first reason why we can hope, even in the midst of this great brokenness, is number one, because we have a much greater glory coming, that we have a glory that we can look to. The second reason, as followers of Christ, that we can hope in our, this future reality is that we have a spirit, we have the spirit interceding with us now so that we might be able to persevere as we wait for this glory. You know, it's, it's interesting to what Paul says. In just the verses, you know, verse 25, when he's speaking about this idea of the future reality, listen to what he says. He says, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. (sighs) Man, um, sometimes this idea of waiting for patience is difficult to grasp, isn't it? This idea that hope in something future, something that we long for, that that should you know, be the oxygen we breathe even in the midst of the brokenness. Man, it's hard to imagine grabbing that, isn't it? Sometimes, sometimes hope is hard, man. And Paul actually acknowledges that here. He acknowledges that hope is hard. In fact, it's interesting because when he says that we should wait for it with patience or that we wait for it with patience, a better word instead of patience might actually be endurance. Patience seems to have this kind of 
passive serenity that's, that's a part of that, of that vision or that idea of that word. But, but Paul is actually speaking of this, this wrestling, this hanging on, this remaining even in the midst of great difficulty. And listen to what he says in verse 26 when he speaks to this. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Did you hear what he said? He said that the Spirit is interceding in our weakness. He's helping us in our weakness. And then look what he says. He goes on and he says that the Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words, that the Spirit is with us in the midst of this. He is with us. He he is emotionally present with us in the midst of the burdens, in the midst of the heaviness, in the midst of the difficulties. This is so beautiful for us in these moments to realize that we do not have a distant, uninterested God. We have one who is groaning with us as we groan. He is here in the mud, in the dirt, emotionally invested, engaged, journeying with us. And listen to what he says. He says that he intercedes for us before God. He is coming. He is praying for us. He's he's bringing our requests and our situations before the Father, before his throne. He is interceding for us in this space. You ever have those moments when you don't even know what to pray for? When the pain is so, so overbearing that you're just, you, you, you don't even know what you need to carry on through this space. You don't even know how to come into God's presence. You don't even have the energy. You don't have the words. You don't have the ability to come into that space and even know what to ask for. And God says, hey, you know what? That's okay. I'm with you. My spirit is with you. The Spirit is praying for us and He is bringing our requests. And here's what's beautiful. He knows exactly what to pray and how to pray. Because listen to what He says. He says, And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We don't know what to pray for, but the Spirit does. The Spirit knows what to bring before the Father. The Spirit knows what we need in His presence. And not only does He bring us before the Father, not only does He bring us to God, but because He is interceding according to the will of God, He is bringing us to God and He is bringing God for us. He is activating God's power through prayer on our behalf to sustain us in the midst of the brokenness that we find. This is our hope. Even in the moments when we don't have the ability to hope, the Spirit is hoping for us. He is praying for us. He is interceding with us. He is here. We are not alone. God is at work. He is present. He calls us to this future hope. So we have hope because of the reality of a future glory that is going to come. And it's infinitely greater than even the greatest suffering that we experience here. And for some of us, we hear that, we go, oh, if only that could actually be my experience. But I don't even know how to wait for that. I don't even know how to pray for that. And then he says, not only do I have this future reality for you, but I am with you in your present reality. 
And the Spirit is with us here and He is groaning with us and He is interceding for us to continue to help us persevere in this moment so that we can continue to to hope for the future as He intercedes with us now in the present. But not only is He interceding for us, not only is He with us, but even in the midst of the brokenness and the pain, He is at work renewing us, restoring us, recreating us. Listen to what he goes on and he says in verse 28. He says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Okay, so I sometimes think that, um, that this verse is like the most beautiful verse and like maybe one of the hardest verses. There, I, I mean, here's this, this idea that God comes to us and he says, Hey, whatever's going on in your life, whatever the reality of the experience. And he's not, he's not like dismissing things. Like he's fully aware of what's taking place, right? Like fully aware. He understands brokenness. I mean, hey, hey this is the lens that Paul is speaking through because in verse 16 and 17 of Romans 8, he speaks about the reality of Jesus Christ and the sufferings of Jesus Christ. So God understands suffering. I mean, when, when, when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he took all of our sin upon himself. He experienced all the suffering that you and I deserve for the sins that we have experienced. The brokenness of all things was placed upon him. He experienced a type of suffering that those of us who have chosen to follow Christ, we won't even experience because the scriptures are clear that he actually faced the wrath of God that we deserve for sins that we have committed, right? So this is on us. He's taken that. So when Paul is speaking here, he's not speaking on behalf of a God who doesn't know, who doesn't understand. God's been in, like God has experienced it. He knows, he knows infinitely more the type of suffering that we experience. Absolutely. So it's in this reality, he says, hey, listen, God wants to work together things for good. Like he's gonna, he's working it for good. He's, he's doing redemptive work in our lives. He's, he, this isn't out of his control. He is a sovereign and he is a good God. And in whatever situation we are in, no matter what others have acted out of anger or hate or acted in a way that's for our destruction, the scriptures are clear that the all-powerful God is actually taking what was meant for our destruction and he's weaving something good in it. He says that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There's so much here, so much here. And I don't want to take time to wrestle with this passage in terms of does this mean that salvation is is ordained by God? Do we have any type of choice in this? Like, how do we wrestle with those realities? Those are appropriate and right things for us to wrestle with. But here's the point I want you to get from this passage right now. God is at work. He's at work. The situations we find ourselves in are not beyond him. They're not more powerful than him. He is at work. And he has a plan to redeem all things, even the things that were meant for our destruction. God is so powerful and so at work that he is using that to bring about an even greater good in us. Now, part of the problem is we generally tend to define good the same way that our world defines good in terms of material realities, physical well-being, you know, financial security. That's primarily how we tend to define good. 
And in many ways, those things are good. Absolutely. There is an eternal glory where brokenness will no longer exist. And we should enjoy the goodness of those things that we experience. But when God thinks about good, he's thinking about something so much more than just the temporary. He's thinking about the eternal. He's thinking about our souls. He's thinking about our character. He's thinking about the things that matter so deeply. And he is at work renewing and restoring us even in the midst of the difficulties. Even in the midst of the hardship, he is working at forming and transforming and changing us and making us into the image of his son. This is the one thing, my friends, that we can know no matter what the situation we're in, like that we can count on God for that in every single situation we find ourselves in, no matter how destitute, no matter how many others have have engaged this moment for perhaps our destruction, God is at work using it to form and shape us more into the image of His Son, the, the true human Jesus Christ, the reality of what we were wired for to be like Jesus, that this is what God is at work doing. He's shaping us in this space. And so even in the midst of the brokenness, we have hope because He's using the brokenness to transform and shape us. And so where is our hope? Our hope is in a future glory. Oh, it's in a future glory. The reality that this future glory is infinitely greater than the suffering we endure now. This hope is found in the reality that the Spirit is with us, groaning on our behalf. When we don't have the energy to even groan or bring our request before God, He is at work bringing them before God so that we can endure in the midst of the difficulties. And we have hope because He is at work. He is, he is redeeming all things, even the worst moments now, to bring about His good. He is actively at work for our good in the midst of the most difficult moments. There's no such thing as a wasted moment in God's economy. He is at work even now, and we have hope. We have hope because the work he is beginning now, he will carry on to completion in his future glory. So we have hope. Followers of Christ, we have hope. So what do we do in this time? What do we do in this space between groaning and glory? How do we, how do we live in this space? Four things I think we do. Number one, We groan. We do. We acknowledge along with creation the brokenness that is real and true. We're not emotionally distant or disengaged. We acknowledge that this is not the way it was meant to be. And we mourn. We mourn with those who mourn. We acknowledge the brokenness, the injustice, and we groan. We groan. Number two, um, we use this time as an opportunity to evaluate Uh, We've just been given this really unique space where we get to ask some like really good questions about, you know, where are we placing our hope? we, We work for good things physically and materially. Absolutely. We should. Like the Israelites in Jeremiah, God comes to us and says, hey, you should, this isn't your home, but you should build houses. You should plant crops. You should settle in the land. You should be good citizens here. And so, so we, we, we are thankful for good things. We work for good things physically and materially, but, but ultimately our hope doesn't lie there. That's not where we focus our hope. We evaluate and we ask the Spirit to intercede for us and in us to renew our vision of what should be our ultimate hope, to renew the vision of what God would have for us. And we, we, we rest. First, we groan, we evaluate, 
and we also rest. Not in the sense that we don't do things, but in the sense of entrusting ourselves to God. We, we rest, we trust that in all these things, God is working for our good. He is pruning, he is restoring, he is renewing. Somehow, in some way, he is at work, even when we don't see it. And we know this because of the work he's already done on the cross. It's not just a, it's, it's not for nothing. We, we know that Christ has expressed his goodness to us through his work on the cross. And so even in these moments when we don't see it, we know because this is his character. He is at work for our good. And so even in the hard moments, we learn to rest. And we trust that God is at work pruning us, renewing, restoring molding us more into the image of his son and the ultimate reality that we will experience when eternity comes. And so we rest. And then finally, we fight to focus. We ask that the father would renew our vision of eternity, that he would restore in our minds the reality of what is. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that the evil one is blinding the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the glory of the Lord. And the reality is this, he knows that if we actually see the reality and the beauty of Jesus Christ and the truth of eternity, that we will be with him in a way that we have never experienced before. That the ultimate beauty of eternity is the presence of Jesus Christ in that space. If we see that, then of course we will endure because nothing compares to Christ. And so we willingly, we willingly give up all things because nothing compares to him. And so we fight for that focus. You know, these past um, uh, couple of months have been pretty significant in our family in terms of refocusing. COVID's been a part of it. Working with youth workers who are going through difficulties have been part of it. And then there's been a personal reality. My brother passed away really suddenly just, um, just a couple of months ago. And you know, it's interesting because these are kind of those moments where we have these uh, conversations with our boys about what is truly real. Where is our hope found? You know, my dad passed away when I was in high school. And, and as my boys were growing up, I would tell them stories about grandpa. And grandpa would always speak so much about heaven, how much he loved heaven, how he longed for heaven. And so when I would sit with my boys when they were younger, I would say, hey boys, never forget there's something better coming. And, and if your dad, dad dies, I want you to know that the tears will be real. It'll be sad. But I also want you to know that we'll be together again. There's hope because of heaven, because of Jesus. Your dad loves Jesus. Because you love Jesus, we will be together again. And so these months, again, we've been talking about that all over again. But you know, it's not just this idea of being with my dad or being with my brother. It's, it's the reality of being with Jesus. That Jesus will be with us. That we will experience the reality that we have been made for that we will be conformed into the image of the Son because we will be with the Son in ways that we have never been before. And in that moment, we will say, oh, it was worth it. It was worth it. This is infinitely greater than any suffering we experience now. That hope will be completely actualized. And that's what allows us to persevere even in the midst of brokenness. Let me pray. Father, I love you. And I thank you for this time. Lord, the brokenness we experience is real. Uh, sometimes we forget how fragile our hopes are on this side of eternity. We put our hope in so many things that are fragile. And there's just moments like this that reveal the reality that we were made for something more.
The groaning we experience in these moments, they, they reveal the truth that we were, that we're longing for something more. And then your word opens our eyes up to that truth, that there is a future glory that you have called us to. Lord, I pray you would renew our vision for that future glory. And Lord, in the times when the, when the burdens are too heavy, when the hardships are too significant, I pray that your spirit would continue to intercede for us and we would experience the presence of your spirit in the midst of the seasons when we don't even have the energy or the vision to share the words that we need to share. You are working for us. Remind us of that. And then, Father, I pray that by your grace, we would experience you renewing, restoring. That we would know that you are acting for our good. And we would trust you so that even in the midst of the tears, even in the midst of the hardship, there would be a type of rest that we would experience because we would entrust ourselves to you and your work in our lives. You are so good to us. Lord, renew our hope. Renew our hope of the reality that is and the reality that is to come. For your glory, for our joy, in your name, amen.